Book One, Water, Chapter Three, The Southern Air Temple. As our heroes reach the Southern Air Temple, Zuko pulls into a Fire Nation outpost for repairs. Both Aang and Zuko confront hard truths about their lives. Where Aang finds peace in a found family, Zuko doubles down on his dark path. Storybenders. I'm Abria Iyengar. And I'm Josh Arkin. Today we're talking about Episode 3, The Southern Air Temple, and the presentation of change arcs for our two main characters, which begins with the lie each character tells themselves. So here, Aang and Zuko are confronted with these truths that shake this, like, capital L lie, and uh, they alternatingly accept and reject the influence of, like, the mentors in and around them that they're finding in order to guide them through the beginning of these, like, big change arcs that are going to kind of define and shape the series. But, like, before we get into that, like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do the, like, definition, like, here's what the lie is. Uh, So there's a lot of storytelling books out there, and one of these core conceits about Uh, change arcs which are like story arcs that are predicated on the character having to grow and change in order for the plot to go forward Mm -hmm. and that usually starts with like the lie the character believes Mm -hmm. and uh, that sort of establishes within the narrative like what they believe about themselves and the world around them how they uh, are in relationship with their environment and how they mean to go about like improving or affirming or like doing something within the world and their situation. Mm -hmm. So the reason we call this like the capital L lie is because it's usually like deeply flawed, but it's flawed for that reason. Like there's some sort of trauma that has had them like resultantly define something about themselves or the world. And is there like sort of assiduously like going back to it and holding to that, that's holding them back from being the hero that they need to be. Yeah, and I I think in Aang's case, it sort of recontextualizes something that we struggled with in episodes one and two, which is how the writers are painting him maybe over-exaggeratingly as like a baby who just loves sledding (laughs) on penguins and is so goofy. And here, in this episode, it's completely recontextualized as sort of coping behaviors to guard himself from the trauma of understanding. Absolutely. And... He's trying so hard to believe that the monks are still alive. He's not actually the last airbender. And it brought us to this concept of his optimism versus his naivete. Mm-hmm. And frankly, sitting here watching the episode earlier today, I, I took Aang like, deflecting the obvious truth as, as a form of cognitive dissonance. For sure. And just the character not wanting to believe the truth, like basically saying to Katara, no, that can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like she says a very real, very obvious thing dead to his face. And he's just like, anyway, no. (laughs) And it feels really strange early on, especially if you've like watched through the whole series and you kind of know where he ends up, that it feels like bizarre that he's like deflecting this sort of like obvious truth, but it makes sense. Like once you explain it, yeah. As like a coping mechanism for like, the trauma that he's probably lived in and thought about for quite a while since mm-hmm. waking up in the iceberg that like makes perfect sense. And he's not necessarily close enough to Katara and Sokka yet to open up and be vulnerable to them about this. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And it like leads towards that like big revelation that like 
what Katara says towards the end of the episode that we'll get into later. But I, I really like this idea of like the Southern Air Temple as a metaphor, like this empty temple mm. is so uh, such a clear visual for like the construction of like and veneration of like these elaborate lies that you tell yourself that like this house that you build around you to shelter you from truths you're not ready to confront yet in mm. order to like learn and grow. So, yeah, it, I feel like this was like, I don't know. It's Obviously, brilliant. we love this. And yeah, yeah, it's just so brilliant because it's deliberate, but it's not like belabored. Right. And Aang has to essentially arrive at this metaphorical empty temple to, yeah. dis- to discover the actual truth. Yes. And find catharsis. And I, I think what's special about Aang is in this 23-minute episode, <laughs> episode three of the series, he's able to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he winds up seeing the truth ultimately that... Yep. The Fire Nation came to his temple almost 100 years ago and holocausted the air nomads. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that bad? I mean, no, it is, is yeah. literally a genocide. Like, yeah. you're, you are correct in saying it. And it's like, it's... It's dark. Su- yeah, it's a super dark, uh, like, place to begin from. But I do think that, like, it's super indicative of, like the way the show treats its two main characters. And like, I am holding off from calling Zuko a protagonist, but like he is a main character, but like his journey to break down this like capital L lie will take longer. So for Aang, it takes arriving at like a physical metaphor and seeing an irrefutable truth to understand it. And he has the right people around him and he's like emotionally open and receptive to like those people sort of guiding him through grief. And we we even get this like explicit, once again, like all of Aang's symbols are very explicit and like we'll break it down like very obviously for even children to pick it up. So like we see his like grief avatar state and uh, we learn that like it takes Katara like breaking through and like risking vulnerability herself in order to accept his emotions and his feelings and Mm -hmm. help him process them Mm -hmm. so he can move forward. So we get to see all of that in one episode. Whereas for Zuko, like it's going to take a lot more time. Definitely. And Zuko's lie is essentially stated by Commander Zhao, who we're introduced to in this episode. Yeah. He says to Zuko outright, if your father, the Fire Lord, wanted you back, he would have just let you come home by now. Yes. It's been two years with the Avatar or not. Clearly, he doesn't care. Exactly. And so Zuko, it goes, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect impression of Zuko. But yeah, so for Zuko, who like has stated his like lie several times by this point, where he's like, no, like I will get my honor back. Like getting the avatar will restore me my honor and my place in my society. Mm-hmm. Like it's very fun to see a hot ass daddy, Admiral Zhao. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I've given him way too. That's later. Uh-huh. Commander Zhao. Yeah. Uh, sort you of like ca- Zhao, huh? I like him so. Can we. I know <laughs> we're trying to do here. something. Let's, talk about this. Let's yeah. just put. Uh, yo, here's my problem. Is one, it's Jason Isaacs, mm-hmm. and that's uh, he's he's Draco Malfoy's daddy from Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and like that established something uh, a real weird in me at a pretty young age. <laughs> And then they brought his ass back and like all of his, why are all of his lines like deeply sexual? <laughs> I, I don't know. He like leans in and he's like, do you want to get a drink with me? And like, I screamed yes at the screen and like, you looked at me weird and I was like, let me have this. 
Uh, literally all of his lines. I'm like, you can Agni Kai all over me. Oh no. Are we going to cut this out? Probably no. not. No. Probably not. <laughs> I said what I said. Get at me, Commander Zhao. Mm. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Zhao later. We <laughs> yes, we will. We kind of jumped the on that, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my God. I like, I like getting you riled up. Like Thank that. you. <laughs> this is going to, this is going to be a weird energy for the rest of this episode as I'm just like off here like, <sighs> No, we're, we're, we're bringing it back. You can make me any kind of tea you order. <laughs> I love them so much. Um, <laughs> what's incredible about this episode is it takes Aang's arc in this episode and shows you, the audience, especially the younger audience, this is what it's like for your main character to not want to believe what's real, yeah. be confronted with the physical evidence, the, the corpse of Monk Gyatso. It happened. It's real. You're really the last airbender. He jumps into the Avatar state which is a representation of unspeakable grief and mm-hmm. despair and he copes with it. It's something he'll have to continue to process. But for the most part, he gets through the entire arc in one episode. Yeah. And then we, in the same episode, we have Zuko who, when he's confronted with the fact that his father has disowned him, <laughs> yeah. essentially, he doubles down on the lie. Yes. And it, no matter how delusional it is, he needs this lie because it gives him what he feels like is his purpose in this life is to restore his honor by capturing the avatar. And right now that's the main fuel that fires him. Yeah. And I think it's actually really important to note here that like one, I'm really happy about giving uh, our antagonist like a more complex path that like, yeah, like when you need that. So like things can like time themselves out to big uh, climaxes at the end of the series. But uh, I think it's really important to note, and you you alighted on that uh, earlier, that Zuko has to believe his lie. Mm-hmm. Like, he cannot let it go the way Aang just sort of needs to. Like, Aang's refusal to acknowledge the truth is rooted in grief and the avoidance of pain. Mm-hmm. Like, And that makes sense. And it makes sense for a younger character who, like, doesn't want to feel bad about how their actions have consequences and what they did and didn't do, reflecting on the people they care about. Zuko's is a much more existential like problem. Mm-hmm. Like if he understands the truth that like his dad gave him up for nothing and the only person that cares about him in this world is Iroh and even Iroh like as we learn more about him like doesn't have the status to like give him any kind of a life like mm. Zuko doesn't have anything Mm -hmm. if he doesn't have this like potential way back to the only life he's ever known and it's going to take him like across a series like seeing what else is out there in the world and what other possibilities there are for making a life for himself and the people he cares about and discovering and investing in the people that he cares about as much as they care about him like he needs to have this. So it makes totally. perfect sense that he like flatly rejects it in the face of less evidence. Cause like, yeah, the entire relationship between him and Zhao is like inherently antagonistic. And like, mm-hmm. there's no real reason you would want to believe like what a Zhao mean person say. saying a mean thing about you. Yeah. So like all of these like conceits are built in. So I never like in the same way that like I sort of bumped on Aang being like, pretty delusional in his rejection of like hearing hard truths from Katara. It makes perfect sense for me that Zuko like hears what we understand to be the truth, but like has no investment in like holding to it. Right. And I think um, it's really special in a meta sense from the writing team and the producing team that they're able to plant these seeds in episode three here for Zuko, who 
we've only understood as the villain up yeah. until this point. And now we're starting to get more and more of the sense that, no, he's certainly Aang's antagonist in the series, but he's a deeply sympathetic character that we're going to grow to care about, and he's going to have his own very complex uh, journey yeah. that we all know and love now. Exactly, right? It's and amazing I love, to see it here. I love this idea of like modeling and teaching children that like evil and those systems that we need to overcome uh, aren't rooted in like an individual. There's no singular like real villain. Mm -hmm. uh, it's systems and like breaking down and changing like systems that like leads to real change. So like in the same way that Zuko is not a singular villain, the concept of like what the Fire Nation's doing is bigger than like stopping the Fire Lord, which we'll obviously get to again later. But like it's a good presentation of that idea. And I like I have always believed that like a story is only as good as its villain and like its antagonist. So you mm -hmm. have to build a sympathetic villain that's like grounded in like easily understandable truths, even if you don't agree with like the execution of their like truth, you understand their philosophy. So yeah, for me. Uh, this sort of opening up of the door and showing these lies and how uh, each of our characters reacts to them is just like a beautiful tone setter to an amazing series. Yeah, and I think there are examples of some of our other characters leaning into lies they tell themselves mm. in this episode as well. Chiefly Sokka, I mm -hmm. think, is a side character who up until this point in the first three episodes, he's telling himself this lie that bending and the more magical elements of his world are freaky and strange and he's somehow separate from it. He doesn't really yeah. want a part of it. And it's presented as cynicism. It's presented as comic relief. Yeah, for sure. And knowing what we know about the entire series, we can say that ultimately Sokka discovers that even though he is not a bender, he does have a place amongst the benders and, am yeah. and amongst the more magical elements of his world. Yeah, so if that's going to be his big change arc, like, yeah, he gets the lie he tells himself, too. And I think along with that, if we're talking about, like, the rest of our main characters, it's worth noting that Katara uh, has less of a, like, lie that she tells herself. Honestly, she's pretty rooted in, like, understandable problems. Like, she's the last waterbender in the South, so she's being an active, like, hero and, like, taking the, uh, taking the Avatar and her brother up to the Northern Water Tribe to resolve, like, her personal set of problems. And uh, I think that makes her less of a, like, change arc figure, even though we will obviously see her grow and change over time as she, like, matures, but more of a mentor figure that sort of, like, guides and stewards the Avatar. And uh, I think this leads into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is how mentorship intersects with this idea of, like, the big lie and that, like, jumping off point of change arcs. Totally. So one of the things I really like here, uh, parallel-wise between Aang and Zuko, is their sort of relationship to and, like, connections to their mentor figures. So neither of our, our main boys have, like, traditional parents. Like, Aang mm. is from a nomad culture, and I... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to derail really quick, because, like, how the fuck do air nomads work? Like, I don't understand. I, I don't know like, either. Are are they celibate? Like, was I mean, there a baby? I mean, we know that's just... not possible. I mean, is it though? Like, 
Unless it's magic that babies are being made. I don't understand. Like, what if, like, normal people have a baby and they're like, no, this one's going to be an air nomad for no discernible. (laughs) Sorry. I think about this a lot. And I'm just like, I don't understand how this culture. They're like Quakers. Right. Like, Quakers don't. You just you have to make new Quakers, but you don't like make new Quakers. Doesn't anyway. No, I'm sorry. I, I just think they about. Have, I mean, they have to. No Quakers, like you. No one's born a Quaker. You have to convert because like people aren't born into the. It's weird. Really? Yeah, it's super weird. There's no way that's the way it works for air nomads because they're they're sort of like genetically born with the gift of airbending. Right? Yeah, so I'm very confused about how like a whole culture of monks like is just like nah, but we. But we do get down. We though. do get down though. That makes me feel better about being an airbender. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all of that to say, Aang doesn't have, like, there's no mention of a parent. Like, Mm -hmm. the closest we get is Monk Yato, and I cannot wait to talk more about him because he is great. Love Monk Yato. Love him. Love to see him. Shout out again to live action Yato. Oh, my God. So good. Like, the one spot of very good casting in a very bad movie. Yes. Uh, but along with that, even though we uh, will eventually see like little flashes of Zuko's mom, his mom disappears pretty quickly. His dad's like hella negligent, being like Fire Lord Daddy to all of the all of the hot boy fascists. Mm-hmm. Um, so like his only real sense of like parenting and guidance is from Iroh. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I think sort of knowing that like both of our main characters have like a strange and estranged relationship with their mentors. Yeah. Uh, with their parental figures. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a void that needs to be filled by, exactly. by other figures in a, in a mentorship fashion. Yeah. And I, I think with Zuko, one of his core character traits is sort of the rejection of guidance and the yes. rejection of mentorship. For sure. This is part of what makes Iroh so special and so unique is yes. his, his love for his nephew and his patience and understanding in what his nephew really needs yeah, and how he, he basically starts playing this long game with this kid because he understands his natural instinct is going to be to suppress guidance, reject guidance, Mm -hmm. knowing full well that his, his father rejected him and and abused him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But first let's get into general Zhao Ooh, who feels like him again. he's been introduced here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's been introduced here as a potential mentor figure for Zuko, a role model figure. Yes. Someone who is in a position rising in the fire Navy Yeah, that Zuko fashions himself, that he might be in that position. Someday. Correct. He is a perfect model of like what the ideal fire nation citizen is. And I do want to like note up top ranking this mm-hmm. sort of militaristic understanding of where you fall in the hierarchy is important to Zuko, but it's also like the beginnings of showing you what the Fire Nation is like before they show you on screen what the Fire Nation is like. So mm. I appreciate this sort of laying of groundwork. That like, It's just the little details. Exactly. And that's what Avatar gets right all the time. All the time. The little details matter. The world building always matters. Yep. It, it just And there's so much... Another derailment. There's <laughs> so much awesome world building in this episode. Yes. This episode introduces us to the concept of the Avatar cycle. I mean, yeah. we've, we've heard it before, but it's very explicitly stated here. Yep. Aang just knows Avatar Roku's name. We don't know why. Again, these are all things we're going to get to later. <laughs> but there's so many just tiny little world building elements that are slowly building. Yeah. Even, even just dropping Agni Kai as like known Exactly. Verbiage. And it ne- it never feels like a lore dump. 
right. just feels like, well, if this is always part of the world, then when you see like little bits of it, we don't have to explain it because it's just always been there. So it makes the audience comfortable with it without having to like explain every foreign concept. Right. Now ending the derailment and getting back to the <laughs> point about ranking yeah. in the military and the Fire Nation, when we first meet Zhao in this episode, he happens upon Zuko and Iroh and Zuko goes, oh, Captain Zhao. And he says, well, it's commander now. Hell yeah. And he Put some respect <laughs> on his name. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting. He, he refers to Iroh as the great general Iroh. Yeah. To which Iroh quickly responds, retired now. Yeah. And this is the first glimpse that we get as an audience that there might be more to Zuko's goofy uncle than we really understand. Yes. And I've been waiting, and I'm surprised that I've had to wait this long <laughs> in my rewatch. <laughs> Three episodes, it's, how could yeah, you? To get this moment where we, we're saying, oh, okay, so what is this guy's deal? And then, of course, very quickly we go back to the scene where um, Zhao is interrogating Zuko about, well, well, have you discovered something about the Avatar? Yeah. And Iroh's in the background just knocking crap over, just yeah, absolutely but acting the fool. I love this because it's not specifically or, like, it's not acting a fool for its own sake. Like, he right. is definitely being the, like, low-key genius here of trying to derail a smart and competent adult which by the way can i say yes shout out to avatar for having a show centered on children that isn't predicated on the idea that the children have to be the heroes because the adults are incompetent mm. and that seems to be the case so much in cartoons especially ones where the children are the prime audience like there is a strong conceit in children's fiction that like kids are smarter than adults and mm -hmm. have to be wily and like outsmart them constantly. So Iroh as an ally of Zuko and knowing that like in a conversation of like Zuko, a hot headed teenager versus like very smart commander Zhao uh, knows that he has to do something to interfere with this like line yeah. of questions, questioning before it goes badly so for right. Zuko and has to do it in this way that like isn't obtrusive and isn't suspicious. And I really appreciate that moment for that specifically. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think it's a cool like nod to, along with that like retired general, that we know that Iroh is like baseline, very competent and very lauded, but like there's an interesting mystery being presented to us to his like dismissal of that whole like rank and uh, command like honoring mm -hmm. system that we are seeing the beginnings of a person who like rose very high in the fire nation and for some reason has turned away from it and has like moved into a life of like mentorship of Zuko. And there's something to that and it's going to be fun to like figure out what's going on there with him. Yeah. And, and all that interest in, in continuing to figure out their story is even multiplied by the final scene in their story in this episode, which is the acne Kai, the yes. du the duel between Zuko and Zhao. And it's here that we're really presented with some of the themes and character uh, attributes that are going to extend all throughout the series for both Zuko and Iroh. Yeah. So Zuko, in the beginning of the fight, is struggling against Zhao. And Iroh is basically saying, remember the basics, break his root or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the, it's just cool that there's specific jargon around that. Yep. And Zuko does a leg sweeping move, gets him off his feet. You always got to sweep the leg. Starts, <laughs> starts getting him and basically gets him down on the ground and has him in the position to end the duel with a finishing blow. And Zhao goes, end it already. And Zuko throws a dramatic fire strike that intentionally misses him. Yeah. To which Zhao goes, oh, you're weak. No wonder your father betrayed you or yeah. you know, abandoned you, whatever. 
the pride that Iroh feels in that moment, once again, yeah. links back to this idea of like Iroh as a person who has like willingly and like meaningfully eschewed like normal Fire Nation protocol yeah. and found a different way. And we as like the audience who knows that like violence isn't the answer knows that like that's the proper path. Absolutely. But it's fun to see the beginnings of like how Iroh has like rubbed off on Zuko. And then later on and like even like within episodes we see that like duality within Zuko of like taking these like good and like capital G good lessons from Iroh but then also like rejecting it because he's trying to find his own way right so here uh Zuko turns his back on Zhao and is getting ready to leave and Zhao stands up and gets ready to do a cheap shot on Zuko which Iroh comes out of nowhere in the blink of an eye, grabs his foot, absorbs <laughs> the fire, and pushes him down. He flies like 100 he flies feet. so far. It's awesome. So now we're starting to get the sense, okay, Iroh is super powerful. He yes. way outclasses the power of these two fighters. Yeah. And who knows how powerful he can really be. Yes. And he delivers a killer line. He, he's like, this is how the, the honorable commander Zhao acts in defeat. Ugh. This is the only time I didn't like Iroh because I'm like, don't come for my for my fire daddy like this, Iroh. Really, really. <laughs> I said what are I you said. Are you about to stand, Zhao? I am a Zhao stand, and uh, I stand. That's by gonna that. be difficult as we go on. I'm sorry, these it's not difficult for me. Well, we'll I understand we'll when I close my eyes. I don't see. I don't see Iroh. Uh huh. Oh, Zhao. So we'll see in the last couple episodes. That's how, why I'm how fire nation. Zhao works. Uh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> This is where Iroh's beginning to play his long game with, with Zuko. For sure. He says, my nephew has more honor than you. Yeah. He's willing to walk away, blah, blah, blah. And Zuko even says, did you really mean what you said? You know, so yeah, clearly, he plays it the, off. Yeah, he plays it off with some line about loving tea, <laughs> which is awesome. But clearly the seeds are beginning to be planted here. You know, Iroh's long game with Zuko, which is not pushing it on him. Yeah. Letting him continue to believe the lie if he needs to believe it but starting to show an alternate idea of what honor really means. Exactly. And for someone like Zuko, whose like arc word is honor, like I would love to get a count of how many times Zuko says honor <laughs> across the series that like it is super important and very clear that like Iroh is explicitly trying to teach Zuko that honor means what you mean it means. Like, yeah. And you can define that for yourself. It's, it's awesome. And also, like you said, in, in the moment where Zuko defeats Zhao, they cut over to Iroh and he's, you see his pride swelling up. Yeah. And I think as the audience, seeing that Zuko's uncle is so invested in, in this boy and care, really cares about him, showing that this early on is, is so important because their relationship and the love that they have for each other, even though Zuko is so traumatized by his relationship yes. with his father that he can't really show it. Yeah. You know, having, having this adult male role model mentor figure in his uncle who really truly cares about him. It's, it's special. It's, it's again, I said it last episode, but it's for me the most special part of Avatar. I love it. For sure. And I think along with that, like when we talk about Zuko and his weird, like, vacillation between accepting and rejecting uh like mentorship but it it, it really is like all authority figures like yeah. yes he challenges uh Zhao to an Agni Kai uh he goes back and forth on his uncle all the time sometimes for justified reasons when he's being like a silly little like tea and board game boy mm-hmm. and other <laughs> times when it's like no he's clearly right here and you're just being a butt once again honoring the fact that like Zuko is a teenager and mm-hmm. therefore has Muppet like emotions and that's fine too but uh like all of that is rooted in 
the like rejection that he got from his father. But it's such a fun parallel and contrast to our boy Aang, whose entire arc across this show is going to be like, I need more mentors. He's like, he's like a Pokemon of just like, I got to catch them all. So if this entire show is eventually going to be about like finding masters uh, from all of the bending styles to teach him and then eventually finding like, mentorship in uh, avatar roku and the previous like iterations of Mm -hmm. the avatar Mm -hmm. to find like spiritual guidance it's such once again it just goes back to being a a very good and deliberate contrast between like someone who rejects mentorship but needs it so much and someone who probably could get away more or less without like mentorship but actively seeks it because he knows that's the best path for him to do what he needs to do and yeah we haven't been given like the hardest and most pressing version of the stakes of the show yet, but he, he, yeah, he's getting towards knowing what he needs to do and being willing to like put in the work and distributing out that like labor of creating the avatar across a lot of people. Totally. So let's talk about some of Aang's potential mentors. Heck yeah. That appear in this episode. Uh, chiefly number one is monk Gyatso. We love him. Who we love. Yep. Um, it, it recontextualizes Aang's goofy, overly goofy nature in the first three episodes. Yes. And, it, and it shows on the part of the writers a little bit more deliberate characterization. Yeah. Because in the flashback scene in this episode where Aang and Gyatso are hanging, they talk about something serious at first, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. But then they're like, all right, Gyatso goes, are you going to help me with my pies? They do an <laughs> airbending trick and they just shoot pies at other monks and just completely... <laughs> Face pie them. Can I say though, uh, that like really like brightly colored like whip on the top of the pie reminds me so much of the food fight scene from uh Hook that wow. I I cannot believe that that wasn't intentional. Yeah. Like it felt like such a like a, a Don cute, Tabasco reference. A little cute little <laughs> Don Tabasco reference that like a Rufio Zuko reference. Yeah, it was really cute. cute. And That's like good. I I don't know if it's true, but I will believe it that like they were like little, little shout out. Always always be throwing like brightly colored pie. It's, I'm willing to believe that. Yeah. No, but it's 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 nice to see that Aang gets his carefree irreverent goofy nature from his mentor yes and it's not just this weird thing about him but like it might be either uh like a characteristic of gyatso to show you this sort of like parent to child like lineage of behavior or just like a general vibe of the air nomads that like to balance like deepness and heavy philosophical like choices, like monkhood is not an easy choice. Mm-mm. So to balance that sort of like aesthetic lifestyle, like you find moments of levity and you find those those fun, like you find the fun where you can. And that's a, a really good lesson for Aang to have learned as a child where we only see that as an irresponsibility mm. instead of like, what makes being a monk and an air nomad and like eventually the avatar, like a thing that has achieved balance within him. Yeah. And Gyatso clearly understands in that scene that Aang is going to struggle with being the avatar. Exactly. And he admits to Aang that it was a mistake for the monks to tell him that he is the avatar already at the age of 12. Yeah. And he, he tells us the audience that it's customary that the avatar doesn't learn that they're the avatar until age 16. Yeah. And we're basically led to believe that the reason they told him early is because they are aware of the Fire Nation starting to move on the other nations. Yep. So, it, again, it, it goes to a pretty dark place. 
But Gyatso is not the only potential mentor for Aang in this episode. We yeah. also get the first reference to Avatar Roku, mm-hmm. who's only named by Aang seemingly magically out of nowhere. Yeah. And and like we said with Sokka, with Sokka's lie, his reaction to Aang being able to name Roku out of thin air without never meeting him was like, you get freakier and freakier every day. <laughs> you know, Sokka just has a joke there. Yeah. Instead of going like, oh, this dude's the Avatar and you're looking at a room full of hymns and yeah. maybe that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in this sort of climactic moment for the Aang story in this episode, he chases a lemur who comes to be Momo, Momo. out of, out of the avatar <laughs> temple. <laughs> slaps. So good. Lemur Sorry. Continue. Slaps. I got to I had to give him no, his please. intro music. Shouts out D Bradley Baker. Yeah. <laughs> my King D love D. Yeah. So Aang chases Momo out of the temple. Yeah. And Sokka, as well, is chasing him to eat him, which is ridiculous. Oh, my God. Obligate <laughs> carnivore Sokka is my least favorite thing in the in this entire show. There's, like, two or three moments where he's like, I hungry. And he's just like, <laughs> anything that moves is like, I will kill and eat that. And it's the weirdest flex. So weird. I hate it so much. I don't have a problem with, like, eating animals. But it's just such a weird, goofy thing to have, have Sokka do and be. Yeah. Anyway, so Aang jumps down towards Momo, winds up in a in a tent, mm. and discovers a, a death scene. Yeah. Basically, there's a skeleton and a ton of Fire Nation skeletons Yo. around it. So I didn't pick this up until you mentioned it, but clearly it's Monkey Atso torching like a ton of Fire Nation guys. Yo, he, like he must have gotten 20. He wrecked shop. He really did. We love it. We, we love stand it. Him. So Aang looks at the scene and this is his moment of acceptance yeah and it's 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 grief and it's tough and he enters the avatar state can i just jump in and say really quickly that uh the thing i just realized that i want to bring up yeah is that both momo and zhao Uh are the same thing in the episode to our two main characters here interesting they are the like like drivers of like you must face this Momo is the Momo. shadow of I, I'm going to call him Commander Momo from oh now God. on. <laughs> That's a great point, actually. Yeah, Momo <laughs> is sort of like the symbol uh, or the steward of Aang arriving at the ultimate dark truth and, and like ceasing with the dissonance, Yeah, facing the truth. He enters the Avatar state. And so this triggers a lot of things that we want to talk about. Absolutely. So Aang enters the Avatar state. He starts to float. He's got the glowing arrows, the glowing eyes. Yeah. And... Katara, who's still hanging out in the temple, is just wandering around, and all of a sudden, the eyes of the other avatars are starting to glow. Yeah, and the statues. Yeah, the statues in the temple. And then we're cutting to a random Earth Kingdom place where there's clearly, like, avatar sages, and something there is glowing. And Mm -hmm. then we cut to the water tribe area, which is clearly mystical, and something there is glowing. And then we cut to what we know from a future episode is Roku's fire temple and the fire sages, and something there is glowing. Yeah. And one of the fire sages goes... Alert the Fire Lord immediately. Yeah. The Avatar has returned. Yep. And so I'm, you know, me loving like little world building details. I'm blown away by this. This yes. is awesome. They do such a good job of like loading and establishing shots and making the world feel big and full and vital without having it. Like once again, like they don't overwhelm you with any of it. So like these like two to three second like clips of like other places and tying in the fact that like the world is both huge and big and mysterious and amazing, but also about to get much, much smaller around Mm -hmm. our main characters as 
uh, Zhao has at this point, like in the episode, figured out that the Avatar is around and available. And now the Fire Lord's going to know too. So like all of the Fire Nation is aware of what our boy Zuko knows, Mm -hmm. which is going to drive him to be even more like desperate and extreme in his uh, motivations. But yeah, it it was just a beautiful moment. Yeah. And it's basically like, it's capped off. This amazing moment is capped off with more action from Katara. Yeah. So Katara decides and she explicitly says to Sokka, I'm going to go to Aang right now and try to figure out how to calm him down. Yes. And what she decides to do is shout at him, Aang, I understand that this is horrible. I just want you to know that you're not without family. Sokka and I are your family now. And that worked. It did. Aang comes down. He embraces Katara. They hug. He says, I'm sorry. She's like, you don't have to be sorry. Yeah. And this is kind of what we're talking about. You brought this up earlier. Katara sort of as a peer mentor. Exactly. To Aang. Yeah. And I think it's very, very obvious in these early episodes and in the early season that they're like... Uh, the showrunners are very clear and deliberate about the age and maturity gap between Katara and Aang. Mm-hmm. So I like that they're leaning into it here enough so that Aang can have someone with him in the same way that Zuko has Iroh with him that can be a mentor and a bit of guidance and a bit of stability and like an emotional center as things get bigger and wilder for him. Absolutely. So yeah, with all of that in mind, is there anything else from the like the episode that you want to like bring up? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's another major facet of this show that makes it so special that we haven't really talked about yet, which is the music. Yes. And the music of Avatar is incredible. And this episode, like we mentioned, we were introduced to the lemur theme. I love it. It's so cute. But also the Agni Kai theme. Yes. Ding, 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 I mean, <laughs> it is awesome. It slaps. Yeah. And of course, the Avatar theme, which is in the main titles, mm-hmm. and, and the love theme, or the sort of like Ankatara relationship theme, yeah. which you see all the time on TikTok these days. Yeah. <laughs> with that like weird instrument, like the wood block. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The wood yeah. block with like the metal things. What it's is very it easy to play on that. I don't know. Very cool, though. But yeah, the music of Avatar is brilliant. It it helps pull someone like me into the world because I'm I'm very musically oriented, mm, mm-hmm. and it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful piece, and I think it's highlighted here in this episode. But obviously, it persists throughout the show. Yeah, and it, just to jump on a little bit, like yeah. I do appreciate that these themes are like they're composed. It's not that they sound different, but they also have like different instrumentation. Yeah. So it. it They do sound different. Yeah, they have like very different vibes to them. So like I like that they stand out in different ways. And like Momo's theme is honestly absurd. But like for a character that like was introduced in such a like, oh, dark and ominous. It's, you know, it's a firebender with a signature giant Mm. firebender bunny (laughs) (laughs) that giving this character that will serve like true comedic like purposes, like Mm. a very silly theme to like remind you and guide you into what's going to be like a sillier scene is good and just part of the thing that like built such a complex and easily and immediately understandable world Mm -hmm. so i think that's it i think for episode three i think i think we did it i think we kind of nailed it i think we (laughs) crushed it you're welcome everybody yeah yeah all right so uh where where else can people on the internet listening to this find you yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I am at Shua himself on Twitter. Spell that bad boy. That's S H U A.
himself, one word. And then I'm also Watch Shua on Twitch, and I stream on Twitch, all different kinds of games. Right now, I'm doing a lot of Magic the Gathering Arena, Ooh. and I'm uh, nice. I'm getting pretty good. Ooh. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, but that's Watch Shua, W-A-T-C-H-S-H-U-A on Twitch. Nice. What about you? Yeah. Um, you can find me on social media at Quiddy, Q-U-I-D-D-I-E. And uh, I am Batrayed, a TTRPG streamer and writer and uh, dungeon master. So uh, a couple of the shows you can catch me on now uh, would be like the Dimension 20 side quest, Pirates of Leviathan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, through College Humor and on Dropout. Uh, you can catch me on running Pirates of Salt Bay on Saving Throws show. Uh, I'm on Creature Collectors on Critical Bard's Twitch channel. Uh, you can catch me on Lost Mine of Fandelver on D&D's Twitch channel with the Roll20 crew. Uh, Ember Wild uh, over on Q Times and the Department of Mysteries, which is a like adult Harry Potter game that's back wow. in time like 100 years ago over on Dragon and Things. You're so busy. <laughs> I am pretty busy. I love it. <laughs> but never too busy for this. I'm so I'm so <laughs> happy to be here. Like this is such a nice like transition away from just like I, I this is the thing I like. I my, for my job, I tell stories. Mm. So it feels good to sit down with this like fully like realized canon and dissect what makes them good cuz I think it makes us, you and I, yeah. and anyone listening to this, like better storytellers in general, once you understand the bones of something, you can like replicate it and iterate on it. Absolutely. So yeah, with all of that in mind, we'll see you next time with episode four. The Warriors of Kiyoshi. Ooh.